Welcome to Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest is an Iowa native and global presence in the behavioral science and customer centricity and a customer centricity expert. Founding the first customer centricity and behavioral science consulting firm in Iowa, she now consults and serves as fractional executive with a wide, wide range of multi-billion dollar organization. She applies her expertise in helping clients better understand their customers, as well as help them create new ways to differentiate and compete in very crowded marketplaces while building a customer-centric organizational culture, which is essential to all organizations' success this year. I don't care what you do, that's where you need to be. So you need to talk to this person. An avid writer, published author, and she is a contributing writer on a spectrum of customer behavior, organizational, cultural strategy, and leadership tactics for a bevy of top-notch publications. You cannot go to any of them without tripping over her name. And if that's not enough, this four-time Addy Award winner, she is busy, but she also makes time to be a visiting lecturer, venture school instructor, entrepreneur in residence at the University of Iowa, TEDx presenter, TEDx speaker coach, I'm sure a myriad of other things. Welcome, Andrea Olson. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, so Iowa, got to say you're the first person I know now. We just met, but I now know from Iowa. Um, welcome. And Midwest, right? Are we talking Midwest, little to the, am I getting my yep. geography right? Right in the middle, right about two hours from Chicago. Oh, perfect. All right. Actually, maybe I have. Maybe I've actually been in Iowa from Chicago. Who knows? All right. Sidebar. Another, another <laughs> podcast topic. Um, so I gave our audience really the highlights, your, your, your bio, your website, all of There's so much I could have gone into, but can you tell our audience a little bit more about what you do in terms of customer centricity, organizational uh, culture, strategy, all of the things? Well, you know, usually organizations either want to grow or find an opportunity to generate more revenue. And usually that starts with, you know, a product idea or service idea. But what I really specialize in is helping them understand their customers better to uncover ideas that their competitors aren't looking at. And that usually centers around, you know, consumer context, consumer behavior, like really understanding them on a deeper level. And the key to success with that is being able to implement whatever those ideas are within your organization. And that requires organizational change or behavior change or mindset change. So that's where the behavioral science comes in. It's kind of these two parts that are married together because you can have the greatest idea, but if you can't get it to market in a way that the organization is going to accept adopt and embrace, then it doesn't really matter. So usually, you know, we work on a lot of different things, usually organizational strategy, kind of differentiation approaches, and then all those things kind of come out of that foundation. So I got so excited when I was reading through what you do and, and some of the work that you've done, because um, I started off in internal comms and which nobody ever takes serious enough or, you know, funds enough or et cetera. Right, right. Because, I mean, they're the ones who shape the culture of the organization, right? They're the, the marketers to your most important asset, which is your employees. So right. I got super excited when, you know, not only looking at all the customer centricity stuff, because that's something that we've been focused on for years as well, but that you make sure that that's part of the change, that that, you know, 
in order to execute that new strategy, they need to change who they are from an organization. You need to lean into that and really let people understand how whatever they do, whether, you know, they're the CEO all the way down to that intern, how they're contributing to the success. So got super excited about that, read a bunch of your Forbes articles, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but we'll get into that. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I always ask my guests, um, our four key questions. So if you're ready to get going, we'll lean into those. For sure. I can't imagine that customer centricity was where you started, you know, as a seven-year-old going to school, that that's what you wanted to do. Do you remember what you wanted to do, your first career you wanted when you were growing up? You know, I, I mean, when I was really young, I would say I, I, I didn't know, you know, and, and that's, I think, the, the biggest challenge for people is that you might have a lot of different interests and you don't really know how to stitch them together into a career. And I will tell you, probably around high school, I thought that I wanted to work for an advertising agency because I knew it was about, you know, connecting with customers and connecting with people and, and taking a product or service and finding a way to package it, position it, message it that was engaging and compelling and different. And, you know, that, that creative side of things. But um, one of the, the most interesting things I learned was after college, I, I started applying to advertising agencies and, and one owner said, hey, the first thing you need to do is go and learn how basically how the sausage is made, like go to a print shop and get a job, understand how these materials and things that you see in marketing that are physically out there, whether well, at the time it was before social media, but, you know, all those things that you have to create, you need to understand how that is produced before you get into solely the messaging. So you kind of understand the nuts and bolts of the industry rather than just the, the fun, creative, uh, you know, exciting side of the business. That's an interesting approach. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought from an advertising perspective that knowing how a poster is printed or how a flyer is pulled together would be critical to that. I mean, certainly the design aspects, but I guess it would. Like I'd never thought about it that way. Did, did you go out and do that? So I did, actually. And, you know, I mean, granted, technology's changed, times have changed. But to understand that, you know, a concept sometimes on paper looks really good, but it's impossible to execute or it's beyond budget or it's something that, you know, maybe it, the organization's incapable of effectively doing you need to understand the, the kind of rudimentary fundamental costs of those things and what it would really take to translate that idea into something tangible. So right. I thought it was a really good experience. That's great. That's, that's a, it was really good advice. Um, who is the first big influencer you remember in your life? Yeah, I, I don't want to sound cliche, but I feel like my parents were the first and biggest influencers in my life. Uh, and I would say that because my mother uh, actually is, is an artist. Uh, she used to do illustrations for the newspaper. So when before before photography, department stores would advertise their products in illustrations in the newspaper. And so she drew all those illustrations. She, she would do art at home all the time. And then my father was a lot more mechanical. He was a machinist at... Um, a big manufacturing facility. So he was always kind of tinkering with things, doing things, fixing things, kind of that analytical side, very math oriented. So I would say both of them together kind of had this combination of influence on me that, you know, encouraged this creativity, exploring and questioning, but then also 
this very practical application side of figuring out how things work and how to take something from idea to actual execution. That was very fortuitous to have both of those influences and often individuals are either left or right brain oriented. So either creative or, you know, practical mathematical kind of thing. So to be able to be developed on both sides growing up is, wow, very lucky. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of things I can do that seem like they don't fit together. Background, you know. Yeah. Is there a song that epitomizes your career path, or one that you're, you know, really associating with right now? Ah, that's a good question because I'd say the career path has has changed so much over time. But I think if I had to pick one, and this is slightly obscure, but there, I'm a big fan of Queen. My mother's a big fan of Queen. Um, and there's a song on, I believe it's the Hot Space album uh, called Action This Day. And it, it's kind of an anthem song. But what I found, the thing that really epitomizes my career the most is not being afraid to take action. Like doing something, trying it, learning from it, adjusting, and that take taking time to think, but taking time to take action is kind of been the thing that I'd say is the the thread throughout the years. I just had this conversation with another actually guest on the show and and they were saying just that so many people have these great ideas and visions and we find the same thing with our clients is what hamstrings them and you know they don't know where to start. They're afraid of starting in the wrong place. They're afraid of doing the wrong thing first. It's like you just got to start. You know, that's the big thing is you may find it's the wrong space, but it'll, it'll point you to where you do need to start. So it's about taking that action. So that's great. And I think you're my first, my, your first, my first queen song in, in 50 hey. episodes. So oh ooh, that's awesome. <laughs> what would, what are three words you would use to describe either yourself or your career? You know, I, that, that's a tough one. I would say probably pragmatic. Because I, I really like to ensure that things are are thought through, not to the point of perfection, but looking at things in a practical manner consistently. Right. Uh, the second word I would say is, and this is maybe an overstatement, but um, fearless. Like it, it's kind of maybe more of a why not than a fearless uh, to try something and go, you know what? Nobody's taking away my birthday. It It doesn't matter if it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, and that, you know, kind of confidence to, to explore. And then also I'd say breadth. Uh, and that's probably the biggest thing is my career has a a wide breadth of different things I've done, uh, industries I've served, roles I've played, uh, skills I've learned. And I, I feel like the breadth is to me a huge asset, but sometimes that can be difficult for people to fully understand. When you don't fit easily in a box, um, when you have experience and expertise across a wide swath of what some might not see as connected, but we see the connection, um, that can be really, really difficult. And sometimes more difficult for women as well, because it looks, you know, they, the interpretation then is that it's scattered, that you've tried different things and didn't like it and moved on. Whereas, you know, and it's that lens and it's, it's moving, it's changing, but I've, I've done a lot of research on that. And, um, it's, it's really interesting the the different in perceptions to have that kind of breadth, but you know, along those lines, your career has been really varied. You've done a lot of different things. 
for those of us in the industry, you can see the thread, like you can, you get the, the jumping points and, and others may not, but what's your career journey been like? How did you go from that? I think I want to do advertising to ending up as, you know, one of the, the key names in, in the CX space. It's funny because, you know, customer is the thread. And it took me a long time to, to see that myself. So my, my career started, you know, after, after college, a friend of mine said, hey, you know, I, I want to start a tech company. This is a couple months after college. And it was like, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about building a website or anything like that. He's like, you can learn it. It's no big deal. Uh, but, you know, you have some graphic design skill, right? You have advertising, marketing kind of side of things. And, and I'm, I don't. So, it, you know, this might be a, a really good fit. Uh, and so for about 10 years, him and I, uh, and then, of course, we added more people over time, you know, built this company. So I hadn't started a company before. You know, in high school, I had thought about starting, a, you know, things like a coffee shop or something. But, you know, it was still you know, just something that was gestating for a while. So this was actually getting into the thick of you're building a company, you have mouths to feed, you have to, you know, do business development, you have to do accounting, you have to take out the garbage, you have to figure out how to position and market the organization, you have to do every job. And it was such an immersive and impactful experience. It, it was hard to, to move on from that because there were so many benefits of learning every day and learning something new every day that it, you're hard pressed to find in a traditional organization. Uh, but I did move on from that because you start getting burned out in that, you know, startup lifestyle and said, okay, what, what are my gaps? What do I not know? And what do I need to experience? And I moved from there to two different global manufacturing companies. Uh, one was in, gosh, about 12 or 15 different countries. Uh, the other one was just kind of domestic North America and uh, got a chance to head up their, you know, marketing strategy, digital strategy, um, sales department um, for the globe. So that, you know, gave me the opportunity to work in a whole different industry, uh, gave me the opportunity to travel, gave me opportunity to understand a whole different set of customers outside of the tech space. Um, and I started seeing commonalities between working in that small, nimble, you know, hard pressed startup life to a very large corporation with layers of bureaucracy and different people making different decisions and influence, influencing decisions, uh, which kind of brought me to at the end uh, this idea of there's a gap between, even though these are all diverse organizations, there's a gap of this lack of understanding of truly what the customer needs. There's this lack of connection between the organization and the customer. Salespeople talk to the customers all the time, but the rest of the organization didn't. And what I had found in our, our little startup tech companies that we didn't have the luxury of not talking to customers. We had to talk to them every day, all the time, and respond to their needs immediately, or we would have died. So the thing I found was these large companies have lost that art and lost the understanding of how to read between the lines and uncover new opportunities to build customers, gain new customers, differentiate, delight customers. And so that's when the uh, consulting firm was born. Wow. So what year would that have been? 
Um, early, uh, like 2010s, early in there, 2015. Yeah, so, so right when the whole CX thing was was burgeoning. Um, interestingly enough, I started my first company uh, right around then as well. It was a, um, a consulting and um, analyst firm centered on customer experience and more so the service provider of things rather than the technologies because you know technologies pretty much can do what they say it can do but if you don't have the right partner and you're not looking at it from a customer-centric perspective then forget it right it's not going to happen so that's cool that's that sounds amazing and i'm curious how going from i mean you're coming out of college when you come out of college, you know, nothing from nothing because, you know, you've, you've been in school, you know, academia is, is so sheltered for most, not for all, but for most. And to have the chutzpah to come out and go, sure, I'll start up a tech company with you, not having the coding experience, not having thought about going into the technology side of things. And then to contrast that and go work for a large multinational organization where I'm assuming you had a box within which you worked, you know, large organizations tend to very much segregate. What mm-hmm. were some of the challenges in doing that? You know, it was, I would say the hardest shift was first of all, speed. I was used to a pace of the ability to influence and enact change that wasn't uh, natural to the larger organization. And, and to me, surprisingly so, uh, in the sense of, you know, missed growth opportunities, missed learning opportunities, missed, you know, agility, right? You know, that the, that the organization really wasn't, at, at the time, the term wasn't really common, but right. the, the organization wasn't as agile as it could be. Right. And it w- I was surprised how it became so rested on its laurels. And yet it kind of got into this, uh, you know, autopilot groove. Um, the second thing that I found, well, again, which was very different from the previous uh, situation, was uh, the territorial nature of the organization. So kind of going to your boxes where it's like, yes, but this is your box and this is my box and the two shall not cross. Right. Uh, when really, to me, the, you know, the collaboration in the larger purpose of serving the customer or serving the customer better or differently or, you know, discovering something that we could do for them that no one else was, was to me the bigger goal. But culturally, it had, you know, grown over time, grown over many decades, and that those silos were really embedded in it. And so that was, you know, also a a shock to me, or at least new to me at the time. Um, But I would say that the third thing was that the other business units in other countries were surprisingly a lot more open and eager for change, collaboration, uh, understanding their customers better, doing things more proactively than the main United States kind of uh, mothership, if you will. Uh, And it was because they all had their own different cultures, right? So they had their organizational cultures that were built in, uh, maybe had grown organically, they were smaller, they were also in a different country, the countries had their own culture. And so that behavior in, in each country was wildly different from themselves and from the United States. 
are you finding the same thing now that you're going out and you're on your own and you're you're consulting now you're the outside looking into these these organizations it's one thing that that we've found and and we work with with large similar to you probably multinational organizations and it's shocking how much hasn't changed in 20 years or mm-hmm. 15 years um, right. that we're still seeing you know, they come to the table, yes, we want change, yes, we want to do better, but then you give them a plan to do that, and they're like, oh, wait, no, we can't do that. That's so-and-so's responsibility. It's like, well, can't you work on it together? It's, well, no, that's their responsibility. <laughs> right, right. No, it, it's it's really about, you know, the, it's it's this ingrained culture of of stability, right? And so change by nature is disruption. So it... it it really impacts that stability and consistency that the organization culturally is used to. And those territories really are kind of that stamp of, you know, this is my sphere of influence. And, you know, I don't want that to be either watered down or potentially negatively impacted by somebody else, because there's, you know, that bureaucracy kind of, you know, creeps in those uh, political territories creep in. And I I think that even though by nature businesses have to change and need to change all the time, and they are in small, subtle ways that they don't really see, that they don't really build the habit of of making change consistently so then it's not a disruptive thing. Uh, So they kind of get into that groove of autopilot where it's like, hey, everything's great. We don't have to do anything. And then when, you know, there's a new entrant or there's new pressure or, or regulations change or whatever the, the catalyst may be, that now I want a solution. Now I want change, but I actually don't want to change. Just give me something I can put on top of all this. Right. Because I don't want, I don't want to piss Susie off. You know, she's head of sales and I don't even want to go through the effort of trying to get a new person that's head of sales. I, I don't even want to deal with any of that. I don't want to deal with any change. I just want to have something to put over this that's going to make the concern go away, but keep the status quo. I mean, so many organizations are still talking about transformation, right? Whether it's digital transformation, whether it's organizational trans- transformation, tra- and, and I, I, we keep telling them, and I've, I've spoke about it and I've written about it, is that rather than transform, how about evolve? It's mm-hmm. a little more paced, it's more manageable, less disruptive, and it's right. ongoing. So it's, it's, it, there's no end, right? So with transformation, there's a start and a finish, like a project, whereas evolution is like a program. Going back to, to when you talked about you know, being in these big organizations and then seeing this, this gap and understanding like, okay, this is what organizations need. Was there a specific divining moment, decision action, something that really significantly impacted the trajectory of your career at that point? Or was there something that had happened earlier that had really, you know, geared you to where you are today? Uh, you know, I, I think it started earlier. Um, and I think it started within the larger organization where I kind of saw these gaps. And then that became kind of a, almost a drive of curiosity to go, why is this happening? This, this doesn't really make logical sense. It really doesn't make business sense. What is what is the problem or what are the problems that are causing this? And I found it to be multifaceted. And I just took a long time, multiple years to just continue to kind of informally research and explore 
what was going on. And, you know, I found it to be three things. Like one was a lack of a common understanding of the customer and the customer's needs, right? Depending on where you sit, you know, a, a customer service person might say customers need ABC. If you're a product developer, you say they need D, E, and F. If you're a salesperson, they, you, you say GHI, right? And so there wasn't really a, a kind of a thesis on really what are we doing and what are we trying to serve and how are we trying to really differentiate and compete in the market with an aligned idea of what the customer's about. The second thing was really that, that culture piece. So you had all these silos and why were these silos happening? You know, a lot of it was out of fear. A lot of it was out of leadership behavior. Uh, a lot of it was around, you know, these kind of, uh, I don't want to say awards, but, you know, the fact that people get rewarded for certain behaviors in organizations, even if they're counterintuitive to what the organization is trying to achieve overall. So it was kind of that amalgamation of things together culturally that was like, this isn't quite clear. Uh, and then thirdly, it was really, to me, very obvious was lack of actual strategy. Like, what are we trying to do? Most of the time, uh, these organizations, you know, whether it was the big organization I worked in or even our suppliers, right, and our distributors, you know, their strategy was I, we were going to grow 10% this year. Well, how are you going to do that? You know, well, we're going to have the sales guys are going to do it, right? That's their goal. And that's what we're going to do. There wasn't a strategy. There wasn't an idea of where the growth was coming from, how you were going to connect with maybe a new customer base, a new market, and really understand that or develop new products that weren't just copycats of competitors. So those three things together over time, it was like, this is kind of the blueprint that is missing in these organizations. And at different different levels of importance and impact, but that was the platform. And when you started having those conversations, did you find there was a certain group within an org that was more receptive to, yes, I hear you 100% totally aligned and others were their typical where it's like, um, no. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, there's some stereotypes for sure. But, um, and especially since I've been doing a lot more consulting, it varies from company to company. Right. Uh, it varies from industry to industry. And I would say even no two companies in an industry are the same. You know, you could argue that, let's say, legal and risk, you know, if you're looking at, let's say, the insurance industry, are going to be less open to any change, anything that's going on different, anything that looks like something that's going to upend uh, the organization in any way. Right. That's, that's kind of their nature. But you can have cases where product development's like, nope, we have all the answers. We don't want anyone else's input. And then you can have other cases where product development says, oh my God, we've been kind of flailing. We're sick of doing the same things over and over again. We're sick of just doing what the competitors are doing. Yeah, we want a whole new, new avenue here. So I'd say it's really on a case-by-case -case basis, right. which is hard because- People, you know, want you to come in and say, oh, you know, here's the problem. Can you fix this? It's this department. And it's like that department is just one of many and they're all intertwined. And there's a reason why they're behaving that way. Right. They didn't just autonomously say, we're just going to be stubborn and not do anything. I'm going to hold everything back. There's there's something behind that behavior. Yeah. Getting them to understand that it's the entire org 
that needs to shift, not just one department. Like the marketing is not the panacea. If you get that fixed, the rest of the org is going to follow through. Right. And it sounds like you've had those challenges across, you know, many, both when you were working for the big org and now that you're, you're doing your own thing in your current role, you know, what has you getting up in the morning? CX is now, you know, customer experience. Everybody's talking about it. It's like, yeah, duh, we need it. Not that everybody's doing it or doing it right, not by any stretch of the imagination. But I imagine that now that you've been doing this for a while now, you know, you're going on pushing, you know, 13, 14 years with it. You know, what, what's getting you up in the morning? What are some of the challenges? And are you finding you're making the same compromises? You know, I'd say that, that what I'm doing in my current role, I, I don't want to say changes every day, but changes quite frequently. And I think it's because I'm trying to eat my own dog food. So as, as I talk to clients and, and kind of focus on the, the customer centricity side of things, I found that there's, there's many organizations that are really actually concerned about change and, and change in general and see that they have problems within their culture um, that they know they need to address. There's other ones that say, you know, our biggest struggle is that our, our customers don't see us as different. We don't know how to be different. And that's, that's kind of a different piece. So what, what I'm doing every day is trying to figure out some other unique thread that ties those things together that, you know, any organization can go, that makes sense to me. You know, is that strategy? Is that differentiation? Is that positioning? Is that culture? All these are kind of one-off things that, that really don't have an impact if they're just addressed individually. Right. It has to be a system. It has to be put together in a package for all of it to be effective. And so I feel like, you know, either as consultants or marketers or change agents or whatever, that there isn't a definition of what that is. We, we put labels on it, but I don't think it's quite clear. And so what gets me up in the morning is, is trying to simplify the language of that trying to, to move away from some of the generic terminology that's out there or the terminology that people have no idea what it means, like strategy or strategic planning. They, I, you'll, you'll get 20 different definitions from, from people on that. Um, and so, or even just marketing, marketing alone. So I, I, that's what I really think about every day is how to find a new way for people to digest and understand this aspect of business, we, you know, we, it's clear in finance, it's clear in the PNL, it's clear in those tools, but this is the stuff that's gray and soft and abstract. Yeah. Gray and squishy, as we like to say. <laughs> yes, very squishy. Yeah. And people don't like squishy. No. I hope you come up with something that everybody agrees on because that, I, I tell you, that's the first question we ask, you know, any of our, our content strategy or content marketing strategy clients is, okay, what do you mean by content? Define right. content for me. And you never, we, I don't think we've had a single client who have said, this is our definition of content and even marketing content, like put parameters around it, but you mm -hmm. need to know what you're talking about if you're going right. to make it better. Oh yeah. Oh, totally. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad it's not just us. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so if you weren't in the CX space, if you weren't doing this amazing work with these clients and, and helping them move forward and, and, and be better to better serve their clients and whatnot, your alter ego, 
what would that be? What, what would Andrea be doing um, if you didn't have to worry about like where to live or money and things like that? Just mm-hmm. pure anything you wanted. Uh, there's two things, but they're very different. Um, one would be, you know, maybe something more in the psychology space. So it's kind of about understanding people and people's behaviors. And that's still very fascinating to me. Um, and and not in the clinical sense, but in in some other space that I, I guess I don't really have a definition for, uh, or, or a box to put around it, but something in regards to, to human behavior. Okay. Uh, the other thing would be maybe on the other side of the brain is something a lot more mechanical is, is doing something with uh, cars, you know, and restoring cars, resto mods type of, you know, building cars, um, you know, doing a lot of mechanical work and uh, you know, maybe in, in the competitive space. Have you watched, uh, I think it's called Renner Renovations. Jeremy Renner. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So he, like, big machine guy, right? So mm-hmm. pre-accident and stuff like that. He had this. He, I think they did the. Well, they did the series before he had his accident, but he literally had like a football field of old ambulances and school buses and transport because he just loves machines. And I guess when you have money like that, it doesn't matter. You just buy stuff. And then he's worked with these people around the world to repurpose them. He built a music studio for a school in Chicago. He built a water filtration, I think, for a community in India. Um, Like just, but fascinating because he gets into all of the, not just the rebuilding of the the, like the the engines and stuff like that to be able to accommodate and power like solar power and stuff like that but the insides and oh it's if you're a machine like if you're into that stuff i highly recommend you check it out oh i will thank you no that yeah. sounds fascinating yeah it's 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 yeah it's because it's, i'm like you i love understanding how things work i'm i'm the kid who took stuff apart when you weren't supposed to take it apart <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Right. I'd say three out of five times I got it put back the way it was supposed to. There you, but, go. you know, that's yeah. pretty good odds. If I was a baseball player, I'd be making billions of dollars. Right. Um, but aside, that's, that's a totally, I should, maybe I should do another podcast on that. Um, but this has been really interesting and I love the, not to use that word, but the synergies that our careers have had and the alignment in our thinking and, and whatnot is one of the things that I've just been absolutely adoring about the women that I'm speaking with is, is finding those threads for our listeners, particularly the women in our audience. I mean, I know I've taken a few way, a few things already. What would be your best piece of advice on whether it's life, career, success, anything that you want to share? You know, I'd say, I think there's one to me, one of the most important things is to, to not feel strapped by what you think you're supposed to do. And I think that's one of the biggest things that women face as an obstacle to personal success, business success, career success, life success, happiness is the fact that somewhere along the way, someone said, this is what you're supposed to do. And that's fine, but that's literally their opinion. It's just their opinion. Right. It doesn't mean that that's what you have to do. You're obligated to do. There is no you know, rule of law saying that this is your job. And so just take it as an opinion. Take it as a perspective. Even if you've heard it a thousand times or it's drilled in your head, it's still just an opinion. And that don't be limited by those people's opinions. 
Love that. A thousand times later, it's still just an opinion. Right. Love it. All right. So we were talking pre-hitting the big red record button that you've been doing a bunch of traveling and you've got some other speaking engagements coming up. Where can our audience find you? What's the best way to get connected with you? Yeah. Um, all my information uh, is going to be available in two places. Well, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to connect with me there. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Pragmatic, which is spelled phonetically P-R-A-G, M as in mother, A-D-I-K. Um, also same as the website, uh, www.pragmatic.com. That's kind of about the business, what we do from a consulting perspective. Uh, then there's me personally, which is, uh, speaking engagements, uh, published articles, uh, written three books, uh, the most recent one specifically on, uh, customer centricity and learning, uh, your cust unmet customer needs, uh, called what to ask, uh, came out in June of last year of yeah, of last year. Uh, that's available, uh, Amazon, Penguin Random House, Books a Million, all those folks. Uh, you can either Google that or you can find all that plus more uh, on my speaking site, which is Andrea Belk. That's Bees and Boy, E-L-K, Olson, O-L-S-O-N.com. Cool. Excellent. Well, this has been fabulous, Andrea. Thank you so much. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. To my audience, thank you for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrea as much as I did, hearing about how exploring and pulling on threads and really looking for what drives you and not being hampered by other people's opinion. Like she said, you know, a thousand time later, still just an opinion. Go out and do what it is you want to do. And it's never too late to change and do that. Uh, after, you know, so many years, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, if you really want to try something, you absolutely need to go for it. I think that's just amazing advice. If you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, then you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net, listen to some of the uh, other episodes as well. You can sign up for our email list, check out the links and resources in the show notes. Be sure to check in with uh, Andrea and, and her Twitter feed and see what's going on there. Thank you again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. Action. Action.